Good morning. We're in 1 Corinthians. I think everybody's been here at least for one lesson, so you know we're in 1 Corinthians. We were off last week. Um, kind of a, not a mix-up, but a, a issue with scheduling. Uh, the, the two Indian pastors that were, supposed, that were here in the Sunday morning service were supposed to do Sunday school and they ended up uh, being late getting here, so uh, pastor took over Sunday school. But we are back, and we're going to review very briefly just, just the four, uh, well, we're on the fourth one, but we're going to very briefly review the three sins that Paul has already addressed, and then we're going to get right into uh, the fourth one. So I need somebody to tell me one of, doesn't have to be in order, but one of the sins that Paul has addressed in the church at Corinth. Brother there. Divisions, uh, yes, what we called it was the sin of following human leaders. Um, and uh, what's the second one, or another one? You can start with sin of, and you'll be on the right track. Following human leaders, leadership, the second one, Brother Josh? Uh, yep, earthly wisdom. Following earthly wisdom, there was a third one. Can somebody give me that one? If you go to uh, chapter 3, you should see where we were at. Yes, carnality. So we called it the sin of floundering in the flesh. <clears throat> and today we're going to start the fourth one. I told you it was going to be a brief Review. That's our review, because I want to get into uh, chapter 4. We're going to talk this morning about the sin that Paul addresses of, of self-flattery. They were flattering themselves, and you'll see what we mean, or what I mean, as we get into this passage. Before we start, let's pray, and we'll get right into it. Father, I thank you for this day you've given us. <clears throat> God, I thank you for your people, and God, I thank you for the opportunity that uh, you've given me to open your word. God, it's, uh, it's not something we take lightly to teach your word, and God, I pray as I uh, do this lesson, as we go through uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, that you give me the words to say, that you'd help us to understand, and that we'd be able to take some things away from it uh, that we can apply to our lives as members, as part of this church uh, here, Mount Victory Baptist Church. God, I thank you uh, for Paul's example, God, I thank you for his uh, <clears throat> his passion in making sure the truth was taught, but also his compassion uh, for your people. And God, I pray that you just help us to open our hearts, help us to be uh, as good uh, a body, part of the body of this church as we can be. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, we're, we're going to go pretty much verse by verse through, through chapter 4. We haven't really done that yet, um, and I, we are going to have some other... Um, we are going to have some other references that we'll go to, but 1 Corinthians chapter 4, the sin of self-flattery is what Paul's addressing. And you'll see, I'm, I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about this, um, but in verse 6, he says, And these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. What in the world does he mean by that verse? I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes. Uh, and we, we have that all the way through 1 Corinthians. Stuff where we, we read through it, we fly right past it, don't really understand it. 
it doesn't to us have super uh, uh, importance super super high importance to the passage and so we move right along and then we get to verses that we hear preached all the time and things like that and and we really like those but that's what Sunday school is for digging a little bit deeper figuring out what what it means by that and then in the future as we go through maybe in your own devotions reading first Corinthians that stuff will pop out in your mind and you'll uh, remember what what we talked about here same thing with the introduction that we talked about um I've been reading through 1 Corinthians a bunch of times just to really familiarize myself with it as I'm studying for Sunday school, and that's the kind of thing that keeps popping up, stuff we talked about in the introduction. Uh, geography, some of the, the pictures he gives. About Remember we talked about the corruptible and incorruptible crown. So that's the idea here. Hopefully as you go through this a couple years from now even, you'll, you'll remember some of this that we talked about and, and have a better understanding. So here we go, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. Paul says, Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Somebody tell me what we talked about was the mysteries of God. Can somebody raise your hand and tell me, what, what is he talking about, the mysteries of God? Brother Nate. Yeah, so that's exactly what he's talking about. When we, we went through this, uh, I think, in chapter 2, but the mysteries of God was stuff that's hidden. Remember, uh, he talks about, and we, I can't remember what passage it was, but he said, had the, had the Jewish rabbis and the Jewish teachers known the mysteries of God, they wouldn't have killed the Messiah. It's because they were so blinded to uh, spiritual things, and that's what he's talking about here. They are stewards of the mysteries of God. So if they're the stewards, the keepers, the caretakers of the mysteries of God, then whose job is it to teach God's people? It's the ministers. So he's talking about this chapter. He's talking about the ministers of God, the pastors, the teachers. All right. He is not necessarily reproving the people in the church at Corinth here. He's reproving the ministers, and he's also, he is sort of reproving the, the people for following false teachers, all right? So he goes, verse one, let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ. What he's saying here is, I'm not, we've talked about this before, but I'm not holding my own authority. I'm not doing this under my own authority. I'm the minister of Christ. And then he says, and stewards of the mysteries of God. Then verse 2, he says, moreover, even more important, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. And so if you understand where what Paul's trying, the point he's trying to get to here, you can kind of understand more of what these verses are meaning. He's, he's reproving them. It's required in stewards that a man be found faithful. And he's telling them, the people you're following are not faithful to uh, explaining to you to bringing to you the mysteries of God they're not being faithful so he's telling them it's required they got to be faithful and you'll see later in this in this passage where Paul says I mean I'll just show you but verse 16 of chapter 4 wherefore I beseech you be ye followers of me and the first thing you might say, why, why isn't he asking them to be followers of Christ? Because they're babies. Remember, he said, I'm feeding you with milk because you can't handle the meat. So if he says, follow Christ and leaves it at that, that's what they're tr trying to do. And they've already gone off and followed false teachers. So then Paul says, you know what? Just follow me. Just, just follow what I'm teaching you 
I was the one, and I'm getting way ahead of myself, but verse uh, 15, I am your spiritual father. I am the one that brought you to Christ, right? I'm the one that led you to that rebirth in verse 15. So just follow me. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not trying to steer you in the wrong direction. I brought you the truth. Follow me. But he says, uh, so in verse 2, it's required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Now a steward, a minister, somebody tell me what the word minister means. Brother Nate. It means a servant, right? So this is what Paul's addressing here. He's saying we're ministers. I get that. I, I, in your minds, maybe to you Greeks, remember in the introduction, you Greeks want this big flowery language. You, You love studying and and being well-read, if you want to call it that. So he's addressing that. He's like, I understand I'm a minister. I'm just a servant. But I'm a minister. I'm a servant. I'm a steward of Christ. So he's, he's telling them, I understand that I, I, uh, I could be undervalued uh, or overvalued. I could be overvalued because... I'm the one that's teaching, but don't undervalue me, not because of me, but because of who I am a servant of. Uh, back in the day when, when there were kings that ruled all the, all the nations of the, of the world, the, it didn't matter who it was. It could have been a messenger. When he came to somebody and said, I have a message from the king, people didn't go, you're just a messenger. They said, oh, it's from the king. He's not bringing his own message. It's important not because of who this guy is. It's important because of who he's representing. All right. And that's what Paul's trying to get them to understand here. It's required in stewards that a man be found faithful, faithful minister of Christ. We need to avoid extremes. Remember in chapter one, they went way to the extreme. and were basically worshiping these men. Right. The first sin we follow, following human leaders instead of following Christ. So they have that extreme, but Paul's telling them, don't go to the other extreme either and undervalue us. Uh, Verse 6, sorry, verse 8. Now ye are full, ye are rich, ye have reigned as kings without us. He's saying, in my absence, you're over here acting like a king. These ministers are, because you're undervaluing the apostles. So that they have this other extreme that they've gone to. Um, Matthew Henry says this, very short little quote, it is, very, it is a very great abuse of their power and highly criminal in common ministers to lord it over their fellow servants and challenge authority over their faith or practice. He's saying it's, it's a high crime uh, under, under Christ's judgment. It's a high crime to lord this, I'm the pastor, you'll do what I say. That's what Paul's saying, don't. Don't do that, but don't go to the other extreme either and say, well, you got no value. You're just a, you're just a servant. Um, I'm going to tell you a quick story. Um, guy, I didn't grow up with him, but um, the church we were at, he came to college, and I became really good friends with him. Still, uh, to this day, we're still pretty decent friends. But he told me a story one time. He went to another Bible college, and this is what I mean by don't. It's a high crime. It's highly criminal for a pastor to lord this position over his people that God has given him to shepherd. Um, But this guy was sitting in a chapel service in uh, uh, college. I think he was in his maybe his second semester of his freshman year. And the pastor um, preached in the pastor of the church preached in the college chapel. 
And he said something that this guy, it, it struck him that I don't think that's, that's not really biblical. So he went to the guy. He didn't go to all his other college buddies and say, hey, I don't think, you know, I don't agree with that. I don't think it's right. He went to this pastor, got a meeting with him, and uh, went in his office and had his Bible open to a passage that he said, hey, what you said in that college chapel, I don't, I don't think it matches what the Bible says here, looking for an explanation, right? And that pastor, with his, this guy's finger on the passage, closed the Bible on his finger and said, I'm in charge of this college. He'll do what I say. That's criminal under, under, in God's eyes. If he's preaching something that's wrong, and this guy can point it out in the Bible, I don't care how old he is, you need to, it needs to change, right? For that man not even to look at the passage and say, I'll study that up, I'll look at it. He just closed the Bible on his finger and said, I'm in charge of this college. That's, that's the other extreme of, a, of what a pastor, he should not be doing that. It's, as Matthew Henry says, it's highly criminal and abuse of their power to lord that position over God's people. So, we have a pictorial example of a true minister. They're ministers of Christ. Uh, they have no authority of their own. We already talked about that. Um, but verse 2 they're stewards. They have, a, they have a, a duty to be faithful to the message that they've been given. Going back to the same example of a messenger showing up uh, to give a message that the, that the king has sent him to give. If he gets there and says, ah, I don't like the, the wording there. I don't like how he, how he put that. I'm going to change it. He's not a faithful messenger. He's not a faithful steward of what he's been given to do. Same thing with a pastor. To come up with their own religion or their own doctrines uh, and teach that to the people. That's why we have so many different pastor was talking about. We're going to talk about the Baptist here in a little bit. What is a Baptist? And uh, it's, we have an acronym for it, the B-A-P-T-I-S-T. What, is, what do those stand for? And some of the, the founding doctrines of what it means to be a Baptist. And he said there's dozens and dozens of denominations within the Baptist. Why is that? Because you have ministers who are not being good stewards of the mysteries of God. They're finding the, their own little doctrines, maybe finding a verse that they build a whole other doctrine off of and splitting and separating. If we were, if each pastor, each minister of Christ was a good steward of what he's been given to teach, there, there should be no different doctrines. We should all have the same beliefs according to the Bible. So a good steward has to be faithful to the message he's been giving. And that's what Paul's addressing here. He's telling them, these, these ministers you're following are not. They're not doing this. And, and this is what you need to be looking for. Um, and I wrote this down, but when you find a faithful preacher, one that's preaching faithfully the doctrines of the mysteries of God, <clears throat> stick with him and don't let little things or our pride get in the way. I think, I think often we do that. We, we don't like a personality or we don't like a, you know, the way he uh, responded to an issue in the church or something like that. And next thing you know, we're gone looking for another thing. That's that consumer mentality. When you find somebody that's faithful to the preaching of God's word, we need to stick with them. And that's what Paul is asking them to do here in verse 16. Just follow me. I've never led you astray. I've never steered you the wrong direction. Follow me. Forget all these other teachers. Um, but there's other places, and, and they're all in 1 Corinthians here. We'll, we'll turn to them real quickly, but 
uh, where Paul gives other examples of what a true minister should be. In chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians, verse 6, we touched on this a couple weeks ago. Chapter 3, verse 6, uh, he gives the picture of, of husbandry, remember? I have planted, Apollos watered, God gave the increase. And then he gives the picture of a builder. Verse 10 of chapter 3, according to the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon, but let every man take heed how he buildeth thereon. He gives the picture of a minister being a father. And the reason we're going through these is this is what a minister, what a preacher should be. He's not lording over the flock. He's a builder. He's, he's a, a farmer uh, cultivating God's people. He's a father to them. Chapter 4, verse 15. For though ye have 10,000 instructors in Christ, we already read this, yet have ye not many fathers? For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. He's a teacher. Look at verse 17 of chapter 4. For this cause have I sent unto you Timotheus, who is my beloved son and faithful in the Lord, shall bring you into remembrance of my ways which be in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. Uh, and then he's a disciplinarian. Look at verse 21. And we'll get to this in a little bit. What will ye? Shall I come unto you with a rod? or in love and in the spirit of meekness. Are you going to make me discipline you? Are you going to make me uh, whip you into shape? Or are you just going to listen to what I'm trying to say uh, as I follow Christ? Um, and then we have uh, some more examples of a true minister, starting in verse 3. Um, and he's, first of all, the examples of a true minister concerning the judgment to come. Um, and Paul says this in verse 3, But with me it's a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. What is he saying here? He's not saying, I don't care what you think, but he is saying that. He's like, I do care what you think, but it's very small on the scale compared to everything else. It is a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. Paul's telling them, I am not, I am not teaching based on what you like. I'm teaching based on the judgment that is to come for me as a pastor. I'm going to give an account of what I taught you and how I led you. I'm going to give an account before God. That's what you said. It's a very small thing for me uh, that I should be judged of you. Um, and I think, uh, I think a lot of times preachers are very disturbed by what, the, what people think. Oh, he screams too much when he's preaching. Oh, he preaches too loud. Oh, I don't really like that doctrine that, that he's preaching. Is it biblical or is it not? And that's what Paul's saying. That's what I'm worried about. Is it biblical? It's a very small thing for me to be judged by you or by any man. Um, and I wrote this down, but it's, I, I wrote, this is why sin is left alone and standards change in a church. The pastor is trying to please people even though he's not called to please them, he's called to lead them. Trying to please them. And, and that is not a faithful steward of the mysteries of God. And that's not a faithful steward of the pulpit or of the church of God. He's going to give an account before God. And, and Brother Nitton talks about this all the time. But some of these guys on, on TV, first one that comes to mind is Stephen Furtick. But if you don't know who he is, he's a false teacher. He's out there, and, and I hate to say, you know, he's out there just trying to make money, but what, what are you doing? If you're trying to please people instead of pleasing God, what is your motive then? Um, I wrote this down too. If a, preacher, if a preacher's chief endeavor is to please men, he makes a poor steward of the riches of Christ, and Christ does not approve of him. 
He's not going to stand before God at the judgment and God's going to say, well done, thou faithful servant. It's not going to happen. You weren't faithful. He's going to say, sometimes, I never knew you. I don't even know who you are. You're not, you're not my minister. You're not my preacher. Um, Paul says this, for I know nothing by myself. Yet am I not hereby justified, but he that judgeth me is the Lord. Exactly what we've been saying. He's saying, I don't even, my conscience doesn't even uh, bear witness against me because I'm doing everything I can to please God, to be faithful to what he's called me to do. And he says that um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 18, I think I have that up here so we don't have to turn to him. Um, but he says, the only true judge is the Lord. Come back. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 18. For not he that commendeth himself is approved, but whom the Lord commendeth. That's what these guys are doing here in, in Corinth. Patting each other on the back. Oh, I'm of Apollos. I'm of Cephas. Cephas, yeah, good job. But who's commending them? Who's approving them? Other people or God? And that's what Paul said. Paul wrote 2 Corinthians 2, obviously, and he says that in chapter 10, verse 18. Not he that commendeth himself is approved, but whom the Lord commendeth. Um, You'll never hear a faithful preacher saying, you know, I felt, I felt good about that sermon. Not a faithful one. He's going to say, I hope the Lord was pleased with what I, what I preached. I hope that I was faithful to uh, the actual, what God was saying in his word. I hope I was able to be faithful in that message and get that to God's people faithfully without, without my own opinion in there. Uh, Paul has one goal, and that's when he is judged to be found faithful. And we see that all through his epistles. That's my one goal. Uh, end of verse 4. He that judgeth me is the Lord, and I want to be, I want to, when he judges me, I want to be found faithful. And he says in verse 5, uh, and, and I wrote some of these down, but we're going <laughs> to get going through them. But uh, what is God going to judge? Uh, he that judges me is, is the Lord. What is God going to judge? He's going to judge, and this is specifically according to ministers, to preachers, but it's, it's God's people as well. He's going to judge uh, whether the hidden things of the heart. Uh, Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, I have this on the screen too. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The counsels of the heart are going to be judged by God. The motives, the reason you are doing things. And that's what Paul's addressing here. He, these ministers, why are you doing this? Is it to be faithful to what God has called you to do? Is it to be faithful to the mysteries of God and helping people understand them? Or do you have other motives? Is it to, to be able to lord this, to have this high position? And, and we're going to get into it right now here in verse 6. Uh, but I have one more verse, Revelation chapter 2, verse 23. And all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and hearts and I will give unto every one of you according to your works. The Lord searches the reins and the hearts. This is at the final judgment. He's going to, he's going to search us out and judge us according to uh, what's in our hearts. But verse 6, I'm not there yet. I thought I was, I thought I was getting into the uh, you've reigned as kings. Um, I'm going to skip through this. Let's see. Okay. So verse 6, And these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos 
for your sakes. Paul does something really interesting here. Uh, he is correcting these ministers for the way they've been acting, the way they've been uh, splitting off into different groups and getting people to follow them as opposed to this guy. This is in the church, remember. This is not uh, you know, across the whole, all these different missionary journeys he's been on. This is in Corinth. They've already split into different factions and they're following different people. But what he does here is what he's saying, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes. He's addressing this issue by calling himself out in a way. All right, so for example, if there was an issue in the church and a pastor got up here and said, Brother Chris, this is the problem that you have. Immediately, what's Brother Chris going to do? He's mad. You've provoked him. You've made him mad. He doesn't, even, he doesn't even hear what you said after that. But if he says, all right, let me give you an example. Imagine knitting. And he gives the exactly what Chris has done, but he says knitting and gives an example. Chris is over there going, I did that. But he doesn't know I did it, so that's a good thing. All right, that's what Paul does here. He's, he says, imagine me and Apollos have this disagreement. But he's talking to them. So that's what he means here in verse 6. I have in a figure, in a picture, I've transferred this issue that you're having to myself and Apollos uh, for your sakes. What's the for your sakes? So that, I don't, so that you don't shut your ears off and not hear what I have to say. I've done this for your sake so that you understand the issue you're having, but I'm not calling any particular person out. I think that's interesting what Paul does there because as a faithful servant of God, He's not trying to make people mad. He's not trying to call people out and shame them in front of everybody else. He's trying to help them. He's reproving them. But as a father, he's reproving them very compassionately, very, uh, he's stern, but he's careful. He's not trying to provoke them to anger where they don't even care what he says after that. Um, interesting what he does there. That ye might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written. That ye might learn in us. This example I've given you, I'm giving you of me and Apollos, trying to teach you what? To not think of men above that which is written, that no one of you be puffed up for one against another. He's, dis, he's addressing these factions that they've been splitting themselves into by using himself and Apollos as the bad guys, so to speak. All right? Verse 7, For who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now, if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou had not received it? He's talking about these people that are following Apollos. Oh, they're so smart and they're deep thinkers. Who gave you that is what Paul's saying. Who gave you that ability? Uh, or, or some of you are following, uh, I'm following Christ, only Christ. Who gave you that gift? Who gave you that ability? That's what he's saying here in verse 7. Why are you glorying as if thou had not received this gift? Uh, Remember, in, in chapter 1, he, he commends them and thanks them for using their gifts, right? That they've been given for using their gifts uh, to help the church. And then in, here in verse 7, he says, but don't glory in it. You, you received it. You were given that gift. Don't act like it wasn't given to you. All right? I wrote this down. Ministers should use prudence in their advice and admonitions, and admonitions, but especially in their reproofs, lest they lose the end they were trying to get to, right? Exactly what I was saying. If I come out and holler at Chris from the pulpit, whatever I was trying to help him with, I'm not helping him anymore. He's mad. Very likely he won't be back. And how can I help him 
if he's not even here to help anymore. So that's what Paul does. He's very careful. He's reproving them. He's admonishing them. He's telling them you're wrong, but carefully. Not weakly, carefully. So that he doesn't hurt uh, the flock of God. All right? Now verse 8. Paul's being sarcastic here in verse 8. Now ye are full. Ye are rich. Ye have reigned as kings without us. And then he says, and I would to God ye did reign, that we might also reign with you. I wish you were kings so that I could reign with you. But he's being sarcastic. In our absence, you've reigned as kings over the church of God. And that's not what the church of God is for. You've, you've put yourself in these positions and reigned as kings uh, without us. Verse 9, for I think that God had set forth us, the apostles, last as it were appointed to death. And he's making a comparison here between these ministers in Corinth and the apostles, uh, which, of which he's one of them. Uh, he's making a comparison. So he says, you're reigning as kings, while in verse 9, uh, we're appointed to death. We were made a spectacle unto the world and to angels and to men. We're made a spectacle. We're made foolish, right? Remember in, in uh, I think it's chapter 2. Might be chapter 1, at the end of chapter 1. He says, uh, <clears throat> I'll go there and read it. Yeah, verse 30. I think, yeah, verse 29. That no flesh should glory in his presence. Verse 28, sorry, I keep going back. It's 27. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and the base things of the world, things which are despised, hath God chosen. For what reason? Does anybody remember why? Why does he choose the base things and the weak things? So that God gets all the glory. Right? And he says that in, in uh, verse 31. Uh, verse 29, that no flesh should glory in his presence. It's so God gets all the glory. That's why he does that. And that's what Paul's, this comparison Paul's making here. He's saying, you're reigning as kings while we're made a spectacle to the entire world. We are fools for Christ's sake, but ye are wise in Christ. We are weak, but ye are strong. Ye are honorable, but we're despised. Even unto this present hour we both hunger and thirst and are naked and are buffeted and have no certain dwelling place. The, Paul is saying uh, a, a true minister is going to suffer for Christ. And he gives us that in verse 11. You're going to suffer physically. Even under this present hour, we're hung, we hunger and thirst. Uh, emotionally, we're naked. I mean, that, that's embarrassing. That's a, sh a shameful thing. But they don't even have clothes to put on their back. And we're buffeted. And we have no certain dwelling place. We're homeless while you're over there reigning as kings. Because you're not being a faithful steward uh, of the calling God has given you. And I found this. Um, it's a... It's, it's, it's humorous, but it's kind of what Paul is saying here. We're made a spectacle uh, while you're over there reigning as kings. And it's, this is uh, the perfect pastor. What is a perfect pastor? He preaches exactly 10 minutes. He condemns sin roundly, but never hurts anyone's feelings. He works from 8 a.m. till midnight, and he's also the church janitor. And it's humorous because this is what everybody expects the preacher to do. Um, the perfect pastor makes $40 a week, wears good clothes, drives a good car, buys good books, and donates $30 a week to the church. He's 29 years old and has 40 years of experience. He never forgets a name and spends most of his time praying to God. Above all, he's handsome. 
He also knows when somebody's sick and needs visitation, even without anyone telling him about it. He loves to spend time with his family, and the perfect pastor has no problem with you dropping in unexpectedly. He also spends most of his time in preparation to speak God's word. He remembers everyone's birthday, of course, and their anniversary dates as well. Before and after services, he never fails to speak to each person present and will also take the time to listen to you for 15 minutes and pray for each person no less than 10 minutes after listening to them. The perfect pastor always smiles and tells you what you want to hear. He always goes out to eat after church with each individual family, spreading his time evenly between all, and he also pays for all their meals. The perfect pastor eats nutritiously, gets his rest, exercises daily, and is always there to listen to you night or day. The perfect pastor has a burning desire to work with teenagers, and he spends most of his time with the senior citizens. He smiles all the time and with a straight face because he has a sense of humor that keeps him seriously dedicated to his church. He makes 15 home visits a day and is always in his office to be handy when needed. The perfect pastor always has time for church council and all of its committees. He never misses the meeting of any church organization and is always busy evangelizing the unchurched. He meets with all the other pastors in town because they have so much time on their hands. He also stays focused on the vision of the church, and he attends all the town meetings for PR's sake. The perfect pastor takes family vacation and attends all the latest church and ministers conferences and listens to your favorite TV preachers and is completely up to date on each prominent TV preacher's messages. He spends all day each Saturday preparing the Sunday sermon, and he focuses on his family, too. He also doesn't overburden the church finances, so he holds down a full-time secular job. The perfect pastor never spends your tithes on his children's Baskin-Robbins ice cream cones. The perfect pastor is always in the next church over, right? You're never going to find a perfect pastor, but you're always looking for, oh, that church has the perfect pastor. And I read that to say, you know, the pastor has so many, uh, people expect so much of him, right? He's just a man. That's what Paul is trying to say here. I'm just a man. But I'm, I'm keeping in mind that God is going to judge me uh, in, the, in the end. And that's what I'm living my life for. Then, then Paul, uh, quickly, he has sympathy for the saints. And he deals with them. We're going to stop right there because I'm going to get in trouble. I got in trouble last time I went over. We'll get to that next week. We, we're on verse six, uh, 15. So we got just a few verses and then we'll start in to chapter 5 next week. Um, he put the, he put some fear in me last time I went over. So, all right, we'll stop right there. But the ministers of God, what does it mean to be a faithful steward? That's, that's what Paul is trying to address here. And like I said, it's not just for the preachers. It's for the people, what to look for in their preacher. Um, and that doesn't mean, um, you know, Oh, I don't like what he preached. He must not be being a faithful steward of the mysteries of God. We got to get rid of him. It means also give him some slack here. Look at Paul. Even under this present hour, we're hungry and thirsty and naked and buffeted. They're just people going through a lot of struggles just like we are. But the, but the ultimate requirement is that they're faithful steward of the mysteries of God. Um, like I said, we'll pick that up in verse 15. Let me make a note there. Um, but we'll pick that up next week. Let's pray, and then we will get ready for the next service. Father, I thank you for this day you've given us. God, I pray that you would help us as um, your people, as a part of this church. God, that we would be gracious to each other, to our pastor, 
but God, also that we would uh, be firm in what we believe. And God, I pray that you'd be with our pastor as he preaches. God, I pray that when he uh, gets a little bit tough on us, God, that we would make changes instead of getting mad at your man. God, I pray that you would just help him, uh, give him wisdom as he leads, and uh, give him power as he preaches. And God, that you'd help him to be faithful to the mysteries of your word that you've, in, uh, that you've given him uh, to bring to us. And God, I pray that you'd help us to learn, that you'd help us to follow, and God, that you'd help him as he leads, that you'd give him the strength he needs, uh, but the, the compassion uh, for your people. And uh, God, I just pray that you'd help us to be uh, good members of the body of Christ. God, where we've been given gifts, we would uh, give them back. And uh, that we would be faithful ourselves as well. It's required in stewards, and we are stewards of what you've given us, that we'd be found faithful. Pray that you'd be at the next service, and that you would uh, just open our hearts, that you would meet with us, and uh, that your people would be blessed uh, for being in church this morning. And pray that you would be glorified in everything that we do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, we're dismissed.